Gather around once again. Union Smack Podcast returns right here. Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Anchor, wherever you're listening to us. We appreciate it as always. You can follow me, Travis, on Twitter at Huss Hogan. Check out my YouTube channel, Hibiki TMD Retro Gaming Pro Wrestling Heavy Metal Horror Movie Podcast. If it's a nerdy niche thing out there, I promise you it's covered on the channel. Usually in the co-pilot seat, like last week, changing up the guard the next few weeks real life happens my co-host matt Tennant taking a sabbatical he'll be back sooner or later follow him on twitter at bruiser mate but in the meantime once again a very special guest filling in it's been literal fucking years <laughs> since i've done a show with this guy right here uh one of the most honest to god one of the most knowledgeable follows you could ever have on twitter as far as like pro wrestling and stuff one of the most in-depth analytic fucking minds i've ever come across and had the pleasure of doing shows with over the years you're back welcome back my man jd for filling in this week and i i wish i had better material for us to cover but quite frankly (laughs) (laughs) i have faith in our our wit and our knowledge to make this shit work but before we get down to the brass tacks where can everyone catch you and all that you do uh, it would be at Bowling JD on Twitter. Been that uh, for years and years and years now. Uh, do the Red Leaf Retrocast. That is a conglomeration podcast of, well, retro things, retro wrestling, retro gaming, retro anime. So there's your nerd shit. Uh, but since this is the wrestling podcast, you know, I do a lot of wrestling stuff. You said you, you with a nice intro, by the way. Uh, my, my knowledge, or at least what I claim to have, tends to piss people off the s- same way. Uh, quite often when you don't want to hear the reality of things, but I do a lot of historical. Uh, so this AWA show we're going to talk about is definitely on the history side, but I like to concentrate on women's wrestling. It's definitely a passion of mine. Do uh, I do a Patreon focused on essentially women's wrestling all year round. I'm doing a journey of all Japan women. Uh, I started in basically 1979 and I'm in 1993 right now about to end it. I do an LLPW review cast on the Patreon. I do Joshi 2010s. So lots of women's wrestling. So if you want to know the actual uh, history of women's wrestling that isn't just reading like old wrestling observers from the 90s, hey, I hope hopefully I got you covered for at least some co- contextual stuff and uh, what it means to actually draw on women's wrestling. So that's kind of my passion. That's what I do. And glad to be back. Amen. And you know, as 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 great as women's wrestling, as far as it's come and as great it is to see how much it's evolved, and as pathetic as it's showcased on this show we're going to cover today, it, it is kind of neat to go back and just see how much we've evolved. And this is a prime example. This show today. Well, it's funny because there's um, so there's a number of different people on the show, and I there's a lot of look. I've listened to some. Uh, women's wrestling historians out there. There's only like five of us, to be honest. But um, some of them really like to concentrate on glow for whatever God knows reason that is. And <laughs> yes, there's like a couple on here, but there's, you know, there's just a section of like St. Louis and Minnesota. And for some reason, Vern Gagne and company uh, really liked real women's wrestling. And that's why uh, maybe a lot of people didn't know this, but when JWP and LOPW went through that split, that, uh, AWA was trying to make some sort of comeback with whatever money market was at the time. And LLPW was going to strike a deal involving like the jumping bomb angels coming over. You know, one of them was already living in the United States at the time. And uh, Norio Tateno, one of them was going to be kind of the big star 
uh, along with the Glamour Girls and a few others. But uh, needless to say, it was a one-off show with Jim Cornette on commentary, which was super strange. That's how the LLPW journey started. So AWA, it, it has a weird place in my heart. It's a very fascinating and acquired taste of wrestling history. But my God, the star power on when it, when it comes to AWA, it's it's definitely a marked history that I think a lot of people tend to kind of brush by. It's always you know Midwest, Mid South, Corn or not Corn, well Cornette too, but Crockett, you know you know the deal. Yeah, it's one of it's been one of my most cherished DVDs in my collection for years. Like the, the WWE release on the story of the AWA, it really is fascinating so and right there prime example by the way jd that's not even a dent in the armor of why i asked this guy to be my co-host this week right there the knowledge is incredible um this event wrestle rock 86 in a way i guess you know april 20th 1986 from the metrodome where the minnesota twins play the attendance was 23,000 fans which it's pretty mm. damn good it, it, eh, i guess at the time yeah. My big, yeah, give or take 23,000. My biggest Dude, gripe the show is so uh, papered. <laughs> yeah. My biggest gripe is the way that was shot. Was the hard cam set up. I mean, you're looking at the hard cam the majority of the show, and you figure, you know, this is like, this is there's barely anyone there. But, you know, behind the hard cam, it's pretty packed, you know? <coughs> well, excuse me. Uh well, at the begin the beginning matches of the show, it was very sparse, like maybe five thousand people there, and then mm -hmm. it kind of wasn't really the sh the the shooting issue. It just filled up later in the show. It could have been traffic. I mean, it's it's Minnesota. Maybe it could have been weather. Who knows? All those fans. Minnesota you know, they... in April in '86. I I would uh, be a betting man that uh, that snow might have had something to do with it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> those fans too. They probably like in route to the to the event. They heard Brad Rangans, Brad Rangans, however you pronounce his name, because I've heard it pronounced a million different ways. They heard he was in the opening match, and they rushed the fuck. They're like, oh, my God, we're going to miss Brad Rangans. <laughs> America pride, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's shocking about this? This actually, according to the Internet, drew more fans than that year's Crockett Cup. You know, I believe that. But then again, if we're taking the numbers at face value, then sure. But, you know, I, I got I got very very <laughs> different sources on what they thought the actual attendance was at the time it was probably closer to like 14,000 yeah that's what i'm thinking i'm thinking no no more than 16,000 people were there in reality there's no yeah. way yeah now whether you want let's let's say hypothetically that 22,000 tickets were indeed sold how many were were through sponsors how many people actually did show up in the building there's always these kind of questions they ask uh, so yeah. there was a source that said, yes, they did sell 21, 22,000 tickets, but how many people were there is a different question. Well, what no, is your opinion on like tracking attendance to the physical to the actual money sold? You go by the money? Uh, it, it depends where you're sitting on that. If I'm the promotion and I'm trying to promote how big my event was, I mean, yeah, I... What do you, what about you? I think I just go with how many tickets you sold cuz you still got yeah. the money. It's not your fault they don't show up or not. Look, the, honestly, if I'm running any wrestling company, big or mid-level, hell, even Rinky Dink, the last thing I ever want to be outed as is a fucking liar. So I'm probably just going to come clean. Like it is what it is. This is what we drew. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess it just depends on the person and circumstance. 
Exactly. Let's talk about what we all want to talk about before we actually get to the, the event. The elephant in the room. My God, one of the greatest things these sweet little eyes have ever seen. The Wrestle Rock Rumble music rap video for the build-up to this, which was shot apparently in Las Vegas. Uh, it was their take on the Super Bowl shuffle from a year prior in 85 with the Chicago Bears and all that. I mean... You don't even have to see this to just read the, read on a format what this featured. Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco, Jerry Crusher Blackwell, Scott Hall and Kurt Henning and Speedos all doing the worst Grandmaster Flash-esque job you could fucking imagine. And the guys on the video, th the crazy thing is, the guys who you thought would have done the worst job actually knock it out of the goddamn park. Nick Bockwinkle kills it. And I'm not even being a smartass when I say that. He's something about how he flowed the verses and the lyrics was just on point. But then he got Vern Gagne. Oh my gosh. Script in hand in studio doing the rap. It's go out of your way, whatever you're doing. Stop this show now if you've never seen it. Come back, of course, but check out Wrestle Rock Rumble on YouTube. You won't be sorry. Thoughts? I know you've seen it at least once in your life. Yeah. I mean, everyone kind of had their version of the Chicago Bears shuffle <laughs> at the time. I mean, WWF even did that, did it with uh, was it like a rendition of Sledgehammer or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's wacky. It's very entertaining. Everyone, everyone has their version. Look, it's 1986. Of course you're going to do one. <laughs> yeah. It's just God. <laughs> so funny for all the wrong reasons. Let's get down to the actual vet. Your commentator for this, Ron Trongard who is, to say oblivious, would be generous at times. Is that fair? Yeah, I, w I wish he had a, a buddy next to him to at least get some energy going through the show. My God, I felt like I was watching a baseball game from the 40s. <laughs> they, they, that's perfect description. They sat in like Larry Nelson for like a match, but then they, he just like dipped out. Maybe he couldn't even take it, you know? And he's like, dude, you're boring me. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> your opening contest of course it's 1986 so you know immediately we're thrust into foreign heel boris zukov who would go on in, in the world wrestling federation with nikolai volkov going against uh, former olympic coach brad rangens rangens i'm just going to say bradley r um also in the corner of zukov is adnan al casey who would be general adnan uh sergeant slaughter's manager of the wbf eight minutes 31 seconds to be honest I didn't have super high expectations. The first three minutes of this, I, it wasn't awful. There were some glimpses of hope for me with some decent little transitions. and But then we just go to the tried and true 86, slow it the fuck down. We try to pick it up uh, towards the end, but it, this was just to kick off a show. I don't know, just a misfire for me um, as far as my opener. Uh, what, what did you think? Well, I, th I thought, yeah, this is going to be 1986 American wrestling, isn't it? That's what that's what I thought. Everyone, everyone who doesn't work around the world in some capacity, they all work the same. Everything's really slow. Uh, maybe they'll take a bump or two. Lock it in, brother. We're going to the mat. That kind of that kind of nonsense. Very uninspired wrestling. It's it's. Uh, I don't know if this is like it, it. Just got a lot of different mentalities kind of going through my head over just listening to a lot of the the i'll call them the old heads you know because that's always the big topic going around the last few years 
is it's it's kind of ever since AEW came around and the rise of say stardom in Japan, where a lot of the older mind wrestlers and promoters uh, from from you know this area and, and and the era before, it's it's always they want people to work this way, do as little as possible. Well, the problem is if you aren't over to the degree of oh I don't know Sami Zayn in twenty twenty three as just an example everyone's familiar with. You can't really get away with doing a headlock for eight minutes. Know what I mean? The old heads fail to realize that, you know, it, it, it's such a... What's, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? There's I don't want to say cliche, but that's coming in my head. Well, I'm, I'm the fans in general just jaded. You know, like, we, we've we seen everything and then some done in wrestling. Um, that doesn't help anything. You know, it, it, in these times, there are a lot of... Un, un, unturned stones in wrestling we hadn't really you know stuck our toes at least in north america you know we haven't really stuck our toes in the water so you could get away with the lock it in brother and the you know the jibber jabber heel of the crowd my iron mike sharp just yelling for eight minutes shit like that you could uh, but you know I, I'll, I'll say the names the jim Cornettes and the, the fucking guys like that they, they've they're exactly what they used to bitch about Vern Gagne in these days they they're not catching up to modern times you can love it you can like the way that modern wrestling's gone, but if you're in the business to make money, you have to accept that at some point. You can't always like what you're putting out if you want to make money. You got to cater to your audience, love it or hate it. You know Is who that was fair? really good with you, yeah. You know who was really good at that mentality and always changing and trying to do the next thing. Dusty? Jerry Jarrett. Jerry, yeah. Uh, sometimes a little like some we bring out Frankenstein in a box. There's sometimes a little too much marijuana, but yeah, just usually he had the right amount of marijuana. And, <laughs> and God, God bless Jerry Jarrett. Rest in peace, of course. Um, yeah, I recently did like a just my own little deep dive on it. Yeah, Memphis was a was a <laughs> was a crack out cracked out promotion, but you know a lot of his interviews and everything. He I think the most famous one was that airplane story. Where he's taken in and they're telling him he's killing the business and <laughs> you got your 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 <laughs> yeah sounds familiar right and yeah. he just goes well I'm making a shit ton of money so like not I can't be doing too bad and he lasted longer than basically anyone else. I think of all people, Cody Rhodes put it best in a recent interview where he said, you know, and he talked about the cornets and stuff. And we'll move on in a second, guys. I promise. We're like. There's there's really no wrong way to do this as long as it's drawing and there's heat. You know, right? Yeah. What? Uh, I, yeah. The I mean, the famous phrase: "If it's over, it's over." And you don't know. You know what was not over? Most of the show. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> literally two days ago, we just had a movie come out called Cocaine Bear, and people are eating that shit up. It's working, dude. It's stupid <laughs> as shit, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's why, I like Sharknados and all that bullshit, so popular. Anyway, the the next match is just pure fun. Pure fun. Uh, the little people going at it. Little Mr. T. How the fuck did they get away with using Little Mr. T trademark here? But they did. Uh, was that the Haiti kid? I have no idea who any of these uh, little people are in this. I'm just, I'm just going, why is this going 10 minutes? <laughs> tag, little people tag team action. Little Mr. T and Cowboy Lang. Again, who's, by the way, he's fucking jacked. Against Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo. Fun fact, in the next match, it will feature Colonel De Beers. Of all people, Lord Littlebrook helped train Colonel De Beers. How no weird is way. that? I swear to God. Hand to God. Hand to God, bro. I will say, Cowboy Lane, He, he I agree. He was absolutely 
just ripped to the gills. <laughs> he kind he kind of looked like Lil Jack Keith Hart in a way. Oh, that's a cut. <laughs> <laughs> this this was your standard. This is every '80s Little People match you ever seen ever. Nothing nothing groundbreaking here. Of course, they do the rowboat thing where the ref trips and falls. You know, the head spins, the gaga. It's just it, it was what it was. These were the kind of this. I, this is such a weird sentence, but I equate these matches in the early to mid '80s as <laughs> what the cruiserweight division would be in the in the in the in the fire days of WCW. Those perfect matches that are the perfect blend, a little bit of comedy sometimes, but not all, but enough to get the crowd hyped, you know, and just the blood flowing in the crowd. And uh, I feel like that's what this did. Boy, was the crowd brought down fast next, but. The, the the referee of this match was some local uh, TV show host guy whose name I don't remember. Um, but I do remember in that rowboat spot, Lord Littlebrook kicking the shit out of that guy, stiffing him. It was like a <laughs> welcome to the business kid type deal. But uh, obviously, Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo would be in the uh, WrestleMania 3 Hillbilly Jim Ken Kong Bunny match a year later, their biggest claim to fame. This is what it done. Uh, There's never storylines with the little guys back in the day ever. They yeah. were always just like never, ever, ever, ever. Uh, unless it was like when Roddy Piper shaved the Haiti kids hair, hair um, which was literally like two months before this. But yeah, uh, Cowboy Lang, oh, a little Mr. T gets your win. Thoughts? I don't have I don't have many thoughts. Uh, if it's not Microman right now, I don't I don't want to I'm really not interested in watching some little people go at it for 10 minutes. <laughs> Fair enough. Are you a Microman um, fan? Not really. No. I I appreciate the Max Minis of his day and guys like that. <laughs> you know, I loved Max Mini when I was like thirteen. I was, uh, he always got me really happy. So up next, man, Colonel De Beers against Wahoo McDaniel. Wahoo McDaniel's got to be the greatest uh, Native American wrestler ever. It, it probably helps that he was actually Native American. He's <laughs> a strongbow. Colonel De Beers, his, <laughs> his gimmick is, and it's Ron Trodgard says it during the introductions, point fucking blank, a Parthiaid gimmick. He frowns upon minorities. He doesn't look at them at equal as equals. You could never do this now, but it just blows my mind. Well, I mean, you could. <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> um. It just blows my mind how in your fucking face everything was in the 80s, you know, in comparison to everything so homogenized and protected now. Um, I don't think that took away to this match at all. If anything, that was used to try to enhance it. The problem is, let's start DQ mania because we're off five minutes, three seconds to a, a shitty DQ finish. You know, nobody came out of this better. Obviously, the fans sure didn't. Did you come out of this better? I came out of this worse as a person. I came out of this uh, thinking, what have I done with my life? I have now witnessed another promotion with the over-the-top rope DQ. And uh, maybe, a, maybe a door came off a hinge, laptop through the window. This became an expensive Home Depot trip to, for after this match. Maybe I reacted a little too much, but Wahoo McDaniel? I didn't even really get any chops. This match was bullshit. Yeah, no shit. And, and possibly a curse or two... Uh about a certain Travis who made you watch this at the time. <laughs> like, damn it! I have to talk you know to this guy again? <laughs> I feel like Colonel De Beers facially had a great look. Like, he looked like a punch-out boss or something, right? But this is him in his prime. He looked like fucking shit. 
And I know we're in that era of, of like, oh, there's you know, a, the there's, Okay, there's going to be a guy later we're going to talk about, which I think is, he's one of the worst, uh, actually, well, yeah, he's probably one of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen in my life. We're going to get to him later. <laughs> right, but even then, he was, and if you're thinking about who I think you're thinking, he was brought in as like this, you know, special attraction, where this guy was one of the top heels consistently in the company, a, a quote, top guy there just looked like this his whole career and he made it work i mean i guess shout out to him but i've never in my entire life and i've unfortunately seen a few now i've never seen a good colonel de beers match ever no it's impossible yeah oh disqualifications are off up next was supposed to be which did take place buddy rose and doug summers uh going up against the midnight rockers 12 minutes three seconds they beat the midnight rockers unfortunately that version isn't on the peacock network version um they probably don't want to show sean michaels getting jobbed out that's true or marty <laughs> marty doing anything well <laughs> that's understandable <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the, okay, that's the that's the, it's really funny that man talk about a Bret Hart fan just at at its key. <laughs> My mind first went no, not Marty Jannetty and his like coke addiction and possible murders. No, he admitted to it, didn't he? He did on yeah, Facebook. Did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's definitely ah, they probably left it off not because of the murder, but Shawn Michaels being a jobber. Let's get rid of that part of history. <laughs> yeah it, it's just so weird because very rare i mean even all the benoit stuff is there right and i i saw like in, in like forums uh, i saw yeah. it in like and stuff people equating like they're uh they equate this well it's on the sean michaels my journey dvd that's why it's not here fucking what it, it just makes no sense but i'm sure it was a decent match i've never seen it but we'll move on yeah but we're past this the era one of dvds so I, I can't really buy that yeah yeah this, See, this is the well, one. Okay, so here's here's the thing about like having Benoit and a bunch of other uh, well terrible people. We start. There is a sense of historical preservation still to a lot of that. I mean, you're still going to watch Buffalo Bills highlights with OJ Simpson um, right. as an example. Uh, I mean, shit on this show, there must have been what what? Okay, we got a murderer. We have another murderer, a pedophile. Like, holy up, shit, the list just pedophile. goes on. Yep. No, I, I I agree. I feel like for historical reasons, certain guy you can't exclude some things. You just can't. Um, I mean, otherwise, in January two thousand, why did the where did the WCW title go for one night? Just poof, you know. <sighs> but this was the match. I I just I was caught. I was blindsided that this was on here. Tiger Mask, the Masawa version, eighty six, making a shot in Minnesota, uh, going up against. Rock and roll, Buck Zumhoff. There's a pedophile, guys. Uh, 2014 charges against Buck Zumhoff for, uh, you know, bad things to his daughter, uh, child pornography, terrible things. Fuck Buck Zumhoff. He's where he should be. He's in prison. 10 minutes, 55 seconds. As far as Buck Zumhoff's gimmick, I mean, this was Honky Tonk Man meets Jack Black. You know, like, he wasn't terrible in the ring. This wasn't awful. This has to be probably the second best match of the night and i know that's not saying a lot third it's fourth. so it's it's so weird to see mazawa in this you know mazawa can get a good match out of anybody but even then he was just like come on guy are we gonna like run the ropes at least once <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> nope 
Not in nineteen, not in nineteen eighty six for uh, AWA. <laughs> What'd you think of that 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 pre match uh, screaming, literally screaming promo from Buck Zoomhoff, where it peaked the treble so bad on the mic you couldn't you couldn't tell what he was saying at all. Not to mention they didn't know where to look, which cam to look. It's one of the most awkward interviews I've ever seen. Like, and the 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 boombox was that's one thing I liked. The boombox was actually playing his entrance music. I thought that was kind of neat, but that's that's always getting from me. Fuck that guy. Mazawa, what can you say that's not been said? Fucking legend. We already know that. This can't be one of his gleaming moments, I like to think, throughout his career that he was proud of. I know that he was kind of brought in with Baba for this, obviously. Um, I can't remember Mazawa really appearing in the AWA again after this. Um, Maybe he did. You would know more than I do if anyone in the world would. <laughs> well, he... I don't really... Let's see here. Where else did he go in 19... What cage match before I start speaking out of my ass here? Um... No. This is kind of it. What is weird at the same time in North America and, like, the UWF and stuff, Sayama, the original Tiger Mask, was wrestling as, like, Super Tiger... At around the same time. So weird. Okay, so he was in Louisiana a couple months prior for the Crockett uh, Memorial Cup. What Was his partner Baba? His partner was indeed Baba, and they took on yeah. Magnum TA and Ron Garvin. <laughs> wow. God bless the 80s. Uh, Tiger Mask gets your win here. Apparently, AWA had a light heavyweight title. And apparently Buck Zumhoff was the champion, but there was no belt here. He didn't have his belt. Well, because he was going to lose. <laughs> was Tiger, Tiger Mask was the champion right now, wasn't he? Um, no. No? Hmm. I think so. What did, what did you think overall? Uh, what would you grade this match? Letter grade. <clears throat> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like a one-star match? Two? Being generous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Buck Zumhoff. You go to like any footage in the AWA. He he was kind of like a Greg Gagne, where God damn it, he tried so fucking hard to get people invested in him out there. But it's like even for eighties, he was a dork, and the fans knew he was a dork. And it just a jumpsuit like that helps no one unless it's for heel heat. Ever, you know. God, he reminded me of Disco Inferno too much, to be honest. It's never a good thing. No, never. it's not. He's just trying. You know to, he's just trying too hard with the with the character gimmick, and then when he throws in an ab stretch, you're like, Ugh. "Okay, yeah. guy." <laughs> I don't know. I, my my wife, who knows nothing about wrestling, right? Especially shit like this. She just happened to walk in the living room, and that's where I got the Jack Black reference from. Because I would have actually never <laughs> thought of that. She comes and goes, Is "That Jack Black in the '80s?" I'm like, "No, but I love you." Because thank you for that. I'm going to use that. So shout <laughs> out to her. <laughs> you know what I am appreciative of. Very goddamn Wyndham. The U.S. Express are on this card a couple of months after leaving the World Wrestling Federation. Shockingly, Larry Nelson on the pre-match interview says that they're former WWF Tag Team Champions and coming in against the fabulous one, Stan Lane and Steve Kern. Rod Trongarn Kern. Not pluralized. It's Kern. He called him Kerns this entire match, and I seethed every time he said it. For me, one of my top two matches of the night. I, I enjoyed this match. Wow. It, 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 well, it's not amazing, but look, look what we're working with, man. Give me a break. It wasn't amazing. 
But, I mean, there was some solid Wyndham stuff. Rotunda, always a decent hand. I I didn't hate it. Maybe I was just so in the trenches at this point. Like, my taste had just plummeted. Like, it, it would just take anything to make me feel uh, good. At well, yeah, that does happen. I, I myself is go am going through WCW in 99. Almost done. And I'm getting to the dreaded 2000. It's really gotten to the point where y you see, like, one match that you just go, holy fuck. That's like two and a half stars. Oh, my God. The drywall's been knocked down. <laughs> oh, man. Literally, so last week, literally last week, cheap plug, my guest, Broken Optics. We covered Super Bowl 2000 February. You're almost there. Huh. I, oh, Godspeed. <laughs> I, just did, I just did Mayhem 99. <laughs> 14 minutes, one second. Uh, U.S. Express gets the win. What, what about this match was a misfire for you? Uh, well, uh, I have to watch a rotundo in the ring, so that's a that's a big negative right there. Uh, <laughs> is this like the worst wrestling family ever, Nick? As a total package, <laughs> like every single member is really, really terrible. I mean, Charles Wright and the Boogeyman exist, so. Well, well, that's only two though. That's true. Tundo family's over three. Let's pretend they had like a grandmother that was a woman's wrestler in the fifties. She was probably better. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I like Barry Windham. He hadn't quite reached his uh, his. Well, no, it was uh, it was eighty seven, eighty eight is when he really took off, and before his knee kind of blew out. Uh, Horseman stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Windham, I always like watching. I'm very, I'm very fascinated with Barry Windham. Good. Uh, even even in his late nineties WCW run, him in the ring, I thought was always much better than people let on. But against Stan Lane and Kern, look, they're good, they're solid. It's it's standard tag team wrestling. The problem is Rotundo, he just... It's always the same shtick with him. Every single match, it never strays, it never goes anywhere. It's so uninteresting. And him being, I don't know, St. Louis 101. But where is he even from, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Missouri, I think. Is he from? He's from a boat. No, he's from he was born on a boat, and he called himself a captain because of that. Yeah. Well, anyways, well, Barry Windham's related to to that family in some way, isn't he? They're brother-in-laws. Barry Windham married uh, Mike Rotunda's sister. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Barry Windham is the, the best member of the family <laughs> by proxy. Yeah. <laughs> It could be vice versa, but either way, one of them married each other's sister, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At least we got, he always throws that right off IRS clothesline in these matches, though. I appreciated that. What a finisher that was in, on Sega Genesis. You worked so hard. You worked so hard as a kid to pull off those shitty finishers, and his was a clothesline. <laughs> was, was Stan Lane wearing his wig for this, or is this pre wig, you think? I think it's pre wig. Yeah. I, I, this is a case of it could have been better, but it, it it's just like we said, when you're you're in the trenches, you're surrounded by shit, some turds are going to smell a little better. This one up next, you could douse oh. five gallons of Febreze on a turd and it's still going to smell like pure, unadulterated shit. Giant Baba against Bulldog Bobby Brown. Not humping around Bobby Brown. No, this is like a throwback guy, like the Crusher, or Bruiser, one of those type, those awful, like, 60s, 70s American-style shit wrestlers against one of the worst Japanese wrestlers of all time, possibly the worst, in ring. 
Ooh, this was fucking brutal, JD. Is this when we go into the negative star range? I think it has yes. to be. Yeah, it has to. Has to. Bob Brown, I think, even though Baba is like immobile, old, and a freak show, because he's lanky like an alien, <laughs> Bob Brown, there's like nothing technically wrong with him physically <laughs> or perhaps mentally. This guy, I, I've never seen anyone just physically unable to take a bump. Yeah. He just wouldn't yeah, he, do it. He makes Dory Funk look like Ray Phoenix or something. Like, oh. What a comp. God. I love it. But Baba <laughs> is just trying his best. He's like, he he, he reminds me of uh, Immobile Andre, like 1989. <laughs> but Baba's still trying his hardest. He's got his chops. He's getting the, he's getting like the claw out. He's, he's trying wrist locks. And Bob Brown's just going, he steps left. He steps right. He takes a, a chop and he, he doesn't sell anything. He just kind of stands there. And I go, well, come on, dude. Like, do something. And, okay, he'll, he won't bump on his back. He'll fall on his butt and then roll. Yeah. It's, it's some like, of the worst wrestling the I've classic, ever seen. The classic Andreas, like, the one knee cell. He'll drop to a knee for a second, kind of huff and puff sometimes. That, that would have been better, though. He didn't do any of that. Is he the most unproportionate giant of all time, body-wise? With his little T-Rex stick arms and his giant fucking barrel chest? Like, man. I would say so. You know what's scary about this match more than anything? Eight minutes, 28 seconds for this. No, come on. It went like five minutes. No way. Eight minutes, 28 seconds. I think it was five. I think there's I think there's something wrong there. <laughs> Either way, it felt it like an eternity. <laughs> yes. This felt like watching all the Steamboat and Flare matches back to back to back. That's how long this felt to watch. Um Baba goes over though. I mean <laughs> I guess you're not protecting Bulldog Bob Brown when Bob is no bringing way. in Tiger Mask with him. So uh I don't think anyone was more thankful for this to be over than Rod Trongard, who is just Christ, you might as well have a daiquiri at this point. That's how <laughs> checked out he's become. Uh, Harley Race, uh, for me, and you, you might totally disagree, that's fine, but for me, in the ring, I've always said, hell, even fucking promos, he's always one of the most overrated wrestlers of all time for me. I'm sorry. He's just, I, I, I don't I get I can't believe this. you'd say that about Rick Martel. How dare you. On a show where we just had a superstar s featured episode on the man a couple weeks ago, going three hours on Rick Martel cheap plug, check it out on demand. <laughs> I this was okay. I mean, this was this was there was some textbook shit in this. I loved uh, the reversal from the suplex into that sleeper Martel transition into on the race. Um, if I'm running the wrestling school, I'm gonna and I say this all the time. This some of this would be on the criteria when just simple shit like a headlock. Just I love their simplicity. How just just the headlock stuff in general. There's there's some classic stuff on here. Well, this, a lot of this, a lot of this is how is like the warm up period in modern matches today. Especially when you do a big singles match, you do what, yeah. essentially what they do. They it's it's the feeling out period. Lock it in. You warm up the body, and then you can then you can take off from there. The problem with with this for me was, uh, well, first of all, before I go into all that <laughs> commentary. 
Okay, here we go. We got Harley Race, a former champion. Rick Martell, a former champion. It was all right. Champion versus champion. And that just got me going. Oh, yeah. That was rare back then, wasn't it? <laughs> the, the biggest, where the best wrestling happens. The place is the space. The AW. It was like a bad Howard Cosell, right? <laughs> yeah, and he just kept going on and on about it as they're doing these headlocks. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what's even worse about that? The WWF would steal him uh, like a year or two later. He would call like the Boston Garden exclusive shows or some certain MSG shows. Somebody in that company thought that highly of Rod Trongard's fucking worked. We need that guy. Whereas they stole everybody later, that they could from the AWA within two years. I mean, yeah. hell, uh, if I have my time straight in my head, isn't Race and Martell both 60 days from joining the Fed? I know Race is right there. He's just about to sign. Martell? I, I believe so, because I think it, what, fucking... They were Mania 3, so yeah, they were, he had to be. He had to be right in there, right behind it. I think they both went, and uh, there's... I think there's, like, two more on this show that also go that direction as well. Bulldog when Bob did, Brown didn't, come, didn't Kamala and no Slaughter wasn't until ninety. Kamala, I think he was right on that skirts at least at six months, right? At least easily because they he'd shoehorn right in there with that Hogan program. Right. He was right around the corner. Was a, yeah, there was quite a few people on this show that this is kind of their last big AWA show that they'd be on. Sherry, but, I'm pretty sure, was gone by early '87. Yeah. As for the match, Harley Race, he's definitely, like, by I would by the time he put over Ric Flair in the cage match at the very first arcade, he was kind of done. You know? Yeah. Like, if you want good Harley Race, you're going to have to go to, like, 70s. I guess it'd be, like, 78, 79, around that era. Because once, once Ric Flair was the guy in the 80s, Harley Race really took a back step. He wouldn't be in the same territories as Flair or Dusty or anybody. He was down on his career. And that was the thing about the 80s was the promoters and bookers kind of knew the next like big guy had to be made. Otherwise, they'd lose money. And that's a big difference to how a lot of bookers across the world act and do things today. It's always like a wait your turn type situation rather than... Yeah trying to get the next big guy or just trying to get a big baby face over for a couple months. It's, it's just always cowardly stay the course. It's never, it's never try to get someone new over and then everyone else makes more money. No one really thinks that way anymore. That's what I have the biggest issue with a lot of kind of modern mindsets about it, or it's just been the same people. It's probably actually been the same people in wrestling for the past 30, 40 years. And they just never got away from it. Yeah. I mean, Plus the the love of nostalgia, um, especially WWE, just the insistent fucking nostalgia. I mean, imagine in '98 at, at WrestleMania 14, you know, where the the cusp of the Attitude Era, which is the most overrated era ever. Don't ever kid yourselves. We just said it last week. But imagine on that card with Austin and DX and all Kane and Taker, Luthez, a red hot Luthez running out there for a fucking match. Yeah, it, they over fucking do it. They don't know when to stop. That's the biggest problem. It was. It's not it's not great now with Noseman in there, trust me guys. It's a smidge better, but 
Yeah, I totally it sure agree. seems like the same. It sure seems like a lot of the same to me. Uh, there, this this match really got me thinking because Rick Martel used to be fucking massive in the Quebec region. He was he was so big, so bi- so huge. Obviously, compared to his contemporaries just prior to him, but still, yeah. like, I went to a deep dive. I listened to you guys actually uh, uh, cover that for <laughs> fucking three hours. I I didn't get full full the way through, but y- you guys were right. Like Martel. Is he was no slouch, and he just didn't. Once he kind of left that territory, he just did not get his due. I feel, and it's even more like it's even more frustrating because I feel like that final little, you know, smidgen of hope he had in that late WCW run. I was like we said on that episode, uh, I was digging that, and I, I was curious to see where that would have gone. You know, well, I mean, it's WCW early '90s, even the late '90s. Not so. I guess not so much as his booking, because we we all know where all the booking went then. But I feel like just his body of work and and the future matches we could have had. Like maybe he would have, you know, tossed it up with a Malenko or something. You know. Yeah, maybe maybe he would have had some TV title run with uh, Benoit or something down the line. Perhaps, perhaps he could have he could have had that. But injuries were just treated differently back then as well. For sure. But anyways, well, I kind of liked the match, even though it was kind of slow, and it ended with the fucking shitty uh, double DQ. Or was it a countout? It was a double countout, know. which is just as bad, you know. Oh, actually, that's actually there. that could be considered worse sometimes, because at least when done right, a DQ can progress storylines. Always a double countout always seems like it's like what do they say, kissing your sister? It's just nah, nobody wins. I mean, if if it goes to a rematch, but the problem with a lot right. of these AWA shows that con- continue to watch, or Mid-South, or whatever territory, is you never really, like, especially un- unless it's the main event, unless it's the main event, the these, these mid-card matchers are always there to just just not have someone go over. People, people fail to realize, too, you talk about how different it was then. Everything was kind of flipped as where the the extravaganza quote shows like this and the spectacle shows, they were used to sell tickets to the house shows where you on the house shows, those loops is where you got your decisive finishes. You know what I mean? These were like little dick teasers, which to think that that's how the business work today would just it would completely fall apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because if you go to a show and you just constantly filled with uh, DQs. Or actually, if you yeah, either way you look at it, you just you're 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 left very angry and very dissatisfied. But see, events could get away with that in '86 when they when they had three separate you know tours going out at once, an A squad, B squad, and a C squad going out on the same loop sometimes. Whereas I don't feel like the AWA was in any place to do that kind of business on shows like this. Like they were in, you know, the ship was sinking, and they had. They should have done decisive finishes. They needed a buzz. There was no buzz. You know, what was their biggest star had to be Slaughter. That's because of the cartoon. They needed a different mindset to come in, but they, they never evolved. They ne- never evolved I... into the next sort of sort of booking mentality. And that's, that's always something I, I speak about when it comes to Joshi wrestling is uh, Ross Yogawa, the hat man, as everyone calls him. He yeah. has really the only like wrestling mind when it comes to women's wrestling, and then everyone else around him is still booking like it's 1998. You yeah. know, the, the the business is falling. 
and yet we're still going to have people seven years in doing jobs to people that were 20 year veterans 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Speaking of the women, a 10 woman battle Royal, which is a weird little number. Uh, Sherry Martell, Luna Vachon, who looked fucking awesome here. Joyce Grable, Kat LaRue, Rose Devine, Taylor Thomas, Rose Devine, the sister of champion, Candy Devine, Despina Montagas, Misty Blue Sim Sims, Debbie Combs, and that's your lineup. And apparently Ron Trongard can't tell any women apart. He just can't. All women Impossible. look exactly the same. Because he calls fucking Candy Devine Debbie Combs. Even after there's an elimination and it's announced, he still calls her fucking Debbie Combs. <laughs> well, at least he got Luna Vachon right. <laughs> ten women. And my time here is an even ten. That can't be right. But if it is, that's fucking hilarious. Uh, I got 730. Of all, of all the, the, uh, the people to win this match was the valet. Technically, she was considered more of a valet than a women's wrestler at this point. At least in the AWA. Um, she would break out, but I mean, you got some, you got some fucking future Hall of Famers in there, like Luna Vachon, Sherry Martell. Uh, yeah, it depends that, on I your guess, definition of Hall of Fame. I would definitely consider those two trailblazers in a way for women, where it was like, like, a, like a Bull Nakano type, or any of like those women in Japan, like just threatening, intimidating women that didn't need to look fucking pretty, and just ah, and I fucking love that. I love those throwback uh, type women. This this was nothing to fucking write home about at all. This was your standard in North America, uh, at least from what I've seen. I haven't watched a lot of AWA women's stuff. You said it was kind of decent earlier, but I have to check that out. Nothing nothing special here at all that really stands out besides Ron Trongard stumbling over his own dick the entire Battle Royal. He's just out to lunch. Um <laughs> From a, a women's professional wrestling expert, did this break your heart? Were you okay with it? Do you accept its time in history? What were your thoughts on this? Uh, it's it's a product of the era. Uh, unless you were in like that St. Louis territory or thereabouts, you're not going to see... It, you're only going to see singles matches on, like you said, an AWA tour of sorts. And a lot, a lot of it's going to be around uh, Demi Combs of the time. Demi Combs is... The, the she is the perennial women's wrestler of '86. Uh, you can throw the Glamour Girls and and those types in there, but they're kind of going back and forth in Japan because they have the high end work rate that that's needed uh, for for over there. While a lot of these these women here are still kind of learning, more or less, especially Luna Luna Vachon and uh, Sherry Martel at this point in time. Uh, you know, you, you people bring up like their Hall of Famers. Well, you know, in terms of WWF, I guess, but they're valets. They're, they're, they, they didn't wrestle. They didn't wrestle enough. They didn't get the matches that that got enough buzz. The the 80s is what the 80s was still a product of being held down by uh, what I'll call the old guard of the 50s and 60s. And 70s. <laughs> yeah, you know, if, you had to go through them. And if you didn't go through them, uh, and that's that's uh, Moolah and the and the company there. You you were not part of progress, essentially. I'm really curious to see what would have happened if, as great as they were at character wrestlers, Sherry and Luna specifically, if they would have had long tours in Japan and been able to season way more and, and form this ultimate hybrid between both. I'm really curious how that would have, like, like an awesome work rate combined with the, like a Luna Bashan character, you know? 
Well, the biggest example of that would be what happened with uh, uh, Medusa. She is the she is the great yeah. example of what would happen if you if you train and get treated well in Japan, which she was in 1989. Uh, helped get Aja Kong over. Sure, that's a that's a part of history people don't realize. Uh, that was a big part of getting her to the next stage. Now, where Medusa faults is she didn't have the greatest work rate, not the greatest in ring ability. But she had, you know, she had she had her assets. We'll call it. While it was Debbie Malenko who was right after her, that's a career just got, that got cut short. She was really a part of that work rate ge- generation. And if, I mean, there's really a good 15 years of just a lost generation of, of Western women's wrestlers that if these people in the 80s got over to Japan, like you said, and was, was able to at least learn to not get implants and actually wrestle, then who knows? Maybe... In 2023, we could be actually watching uh, more than one Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch's of the world, and we actually have an entire generation of wrestlers at that level. Plus, wetsuits. All all Alondra Blaze needed was a fucking wetsuit. Then she learned how to work. You know, body glove. Yeah, swimsuits were very. uh, That was very. uh, That was an 80s thing. You you wore the speedos. That was it. Sergeant Slaughter against Kamala. This is exactly what it sounds like, guys. I feel like with Skandar Akbar again in this corner, Kamala, uh, for the AWA America's Championship. Um, <laughs> yes, America's title. <laughs> that's not one I've ever come across on the community of any 2K game. Maybe I'll have to make it. It's very unique. It's like the, uh, what was that, the, the Brass Knuckle Championship in Mid-South or something? Yeah, something. Yeah. I'm going to let our listeners, uh, I'll give you guys five seconds here. Take a wild guess how this ended. Discuss amongst yourselves. Take a wild guess. A lot of options. That's right. A lot of options. DQ finish here. Um, at this point, Ron Trogard sounded like last call at the bar. Was Did he have my ties under the announce table over this? This is... He really loved himself some Sergeant Slaughter. Hell, the crowd loved Sergeant Slaughter at this time. This was peak Slaughter popularity. And shout out to that random, like, 20-year-old guy. I don't know if you caught this. In the crowd, there was some little douchebag guy in, like, a Letterman jacket with a tiny American flag running around the crowd like he had the Olympic torch, trying to get the crowd pumped up. Okay, so fun fact here. And uh, Trongard kind of alluded to this after his... uh, He sounded like Tony Schiavone in 99 on commentary. And, oh, yeah. and Bobby Heenan, uh, the finger poke of doom, he's like, this stinks. <laughs> he might as well come yeah. out and said it. But once the match ended, he saw that dude running around with the flag. He said something along the lines of, ah, uh, yes, the Pledge of Allegiance. That'll sell some flags just like it's <laughs> just like you're meant to buy them. Or some, some like <laughs> really big dig. Like, oh, yeah, they did only invent the Pledge of Allegiance to sell flags to schools. <laughs> <laughs> I also love how uh, Sarge went out of his way to bury Libya. The Libyans. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a there was a lot of anti-Americanism. Uh, that was the eighties. <laughs> yeah, this was punchy, kicky, slow. Uh, glimpses have turned into like a war, but not really. This is a stinker for me. This is this is the decline of Sergeant Slaughter uh, physically, because you go back and watch his like late seventies, early eighties stuff. He's really good. He's mobile. He, he's got the crowd in every single one of his moves. It's like prime Roddy Piper, right? 
But yeah. by this time, '86, he was he was breaking down physically really bad. He couldn't move. It's all just nothing setting up for his Cobra Clutch. Yeah, you know what 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 am I what am I thinking here? Like half a star, a star. <laughs> Very generous. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> One of the best parts about the AWA, um, if you've never seen them during this time, had to be whether they were a team or a singles was Scott Hall, big Scott Hall, and Kurt Henning. Uh, oh my me. god, I didn't even recognize him at first. Yeah, fucking Magnum P.I. out here. <laughs> Against the Long Riders, Scott and Bill Irwin, who will go on to fame known as the Goon, for better or worse. I don't know if he embraces that at this point, probably. <laughs> This was for the AWA World Tag Team Championships. Easily the best part of that Russell Rock rap video we were talking about earlier is Scott Hall and Kurt Henning and Speedos. Again, go check it out. Uh, 24 minutes here I have on my sheet, roundabout. I mean, at least we got a decisive finish. What this card suffered the most part in the tag matches, none of the fucking heel teams in the, any of these tag matches got enough heat. It was very lopsided and very babyface centric where they pretty much controlled the entire pace to about the last two sequences. Okay. You know? So I'll defend this. I'll defend that. Okay. Uh, the long riders, uh, suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I only have 13 minutes. I don't, I don't know where you got your 24 from. I think your, uh, your sheet is way off. <laughs> Maybe my sheet's combining like pre-interviews and entrances and I shit. I think it's got. To, or, I think it's got to. I, I think because there was a long post-match interview after this. I think my times are the segment times, so I'm going to yeah. knock like three off my official times or something. Yeah. Yeah, because the match certainly wasn't that long. Um, I forget. I, I was just reading the long riders because I'm not too familiar with them. I think one of them like came down with a brain tumor like a month later. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. Like this was his last match before that, and he retired. So, yeah, like I said, I didn't even recognize Scott Hall at first. Neither, neither did I recognize Kurt Hennig at first. I was so used to seeing... I've never really seen a lot of Hennig pre, like, 88 until he got pushed to the top in AWA. But obviously, at that point, it was kind of too late. Um, and then Scott Hall, it's like before Diamond Stud even. That's a rarity for me, too. So this was, this was pleasantly surprising to see kind of early Hennig and, and Hall and, uh, to this extent. Very green, Scott Hall. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're right about Scott Irwin, who it was a brain tumor. This was his last, and he unfortunately passed away through, uh, a year later, September oh, 5th, seven, at the age of 35. That's sad. And he was, fun fact, he was one of the super destroyers in world class. So there you go. Oh! <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if both the Irwins were part of that like destroyer squad down there. I'm sure Bill was under tons of mass gimmicks during his run down there because he Gotta was, be. you know, he he was also Wild Bill Irwin down there, and he was like the uh, the Texas champion. So he was in some pretty prominent uh, feuds with some Von Erichs. So I mean, who wasn't? I, I agree though. It, it's 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 really cool actually to see Scott Hall like this. You know, learning the ropes, kind of two left feet in a way, but not terrible. He was always a natural and. I mean, you go to the from the legendary shoot interview with Ricky Morton to so many guys, Jim Cornette, guys you think would would hate, you know. I mean, they weren't the biggest fans of his like personality and politics, but they always praised his ring work. He's got to be one of the best heavyweight workers of all time as far as just like understanding it naturally. Yeah, he and, he knew he knew immediately like what selling was, and he was he learned to do it quick. Uh, so we, according to Cage Match, he debuted in 
October 84. So he's even, it's not even two years in yet at this point in time. Yep. Very good. Very good. Uh, he's, he's putting Bob Brown to shame. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, a special boxing match featuring AWA referee Scott Ledoux against Kung Fu Larry Zabisco with ninja, Super Ninja Go in his corner. Um, what uh, Milton, was special about this? Yeah. I what? actually enjoyed this way more than I had any right to as far as just being entertained. No. 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 I did. I thought so, for a I thought for a fish out of warrior, fish out of warrior. Oh my god. Fish out of water type scenario. This was fine. I hate Lazer Zabisco. I hate him. I hate I hate his wrestling. I hate his personality. I hate these fucking gimmick matches he's always filled with. It's always Larry Zabisco. It's always this motherfucker. He's whether it's on commentary and burying everything that isn't Larry Zabisco, he's the worst. And I we I for me to go five rounds in this shitty European shoot not boxing match for it to go to a DQ, I was furious. I was like, Larry Zabisco, if I could crack your kneecap like Tanya Harding, I would do it. <laughs> the, the DQ part, I'm not so high on, but yeah. It is I, a boxing match that goes to a DQ. A boxing match, which also didn't have fucking boxing gloves. It had like K1 gloves, and they were doing like takedowns and wrestling. I, I don't know. I don't know. Special guest referee Larry the Axe Henning and some local fucking guy on like ring announcing or something um shows you how important he was uh, all i know is larry zabisco all he ever said on commentary in wcw was new world odor and he thought that was the funniest line in the history of lines i hated i hated larry zabisco in commentary i didn't like his tag team with arn anderson i'm not a huge larry zabisco fan at all but this passed the time for me more than giant baba did i i suppose the bar is low yes <laughs> I just found I just found myself wanting to force feed Larry Zabisco surge and just see his reaction. I feel like I've broken you at this point with the Zabisco <laughs> man. It gets better. It gets better from here. Up next, AWA World Heavyweight Championship match. Champion Stan the Larry Hansen going up against Nick Bockwinkle. I fucking love this match. I hate the finish, but the match was physical for this style. It was, I mean, we've seen better from both, but I, man, I, I, was this my match of the night? Probably, probably my match of the night as far as just the, the, as far as the in-ring. Uh, what did you think? And we all know yeah. the finish sucked. Yeah. Match of the night, the finish, the finish sucked. I would have just, it, it makes me wonder. And I did, I should have done a lot more research for what was coming out of this. If Stan Hansen's your champion, you're Nick Bockwinkle. Why don't you just do a clean finish in the main event and have it go 15, 20 minutes? Exactly. Be, it, to, to catch up fans that aren't familiar with Bachwinkle's run in the AWA, to equate it to modern times, he was on like a Randy Orton level. A win or a loss wasn't really going to make any difference at this point in his AWA career. I totally agree with that. That's a head scratcher. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't know what what the mindset was there. Like Stan Hansen, clearly with his push in All Japan and Baba, and you have him the champion here, so you don't have to worry about like if you're not going to do the title change. You're not going to beat him. I, I, I really just came out of this wondering what was what was the mindset? You just didn't want to put him over. 
But Nick Bockwinkle's essentially booking this motherfucker, so... <laughs> right. I, I can't imagine why Stan Hansel would just stay in Japan a couple months later. One of, one of the most legendary I'm leaving your company stories ever, too, by the way. He runs over the belt and puts a big dent in it and then sends it back to them. Tremendous. And it's covered in mud and shit. I love it. Well, that's a good story. I'll have to read that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever next, read that. Up, it's, on, it's actually on the AWA DVD. Up next, oh. tag action, Greg Gagne, Rambo Greg Gagne, and Jimmy Snuka, his his first prominent match in, in North America in a couple years, or a year, against King Kong Brody and the Barbarian in a steel cage. <laughs> okay, so this was funny. I was like, okay, so there's two steel cage matches on the show. That's weird. Um, <laughs> and they're both tag matches. It's always funny to me watching steel cage matches where they have to tag in and out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the 80s. Never change. And then I go, that's Bruiser Brody. And that's the Berserker? <laughs> what? <laughs> and yep. holy shit. Like, I, everyone knows, like, Bruiser Brody, big, big time, uh, big star. But the Berserker, he was right there with it. Not as good, obviously, but right there with them. These two sold their ass off. They worked nothing like anyone else on the show. Snooket and Gagne are not great. At least Gagne, not at this time. The weird stipulation of if uh, Gagne and Snooka win, then Vern Gagne gets the chic in the ring one-on-one -on -one for, wasn't it just a minute, though? Or was it five minutes? I have four minutes and 32 seconds. Okay. Well, no, the stipulation was he gets, like, a certain amount of time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, gets yeah. him. Yep. Yeah, he gets him. So I was like, okay, I kind of I like those old-school uh, plays. I wish, you know, I wish more companies would do that. You know, get the get the shitty manager in there, or, or you the, the, the person's in a shark cage, and that's your prize. Like, you're the shark hunting the chum kind of deal. I do miss the miss uh, miss those things. So I didn't mind the, the post-match angle there. It's pretty satisfying. I w wonder what it would have been like watching that in real time if I would have cared a lot more. That's that's just yeah. kind of a you-have-to-be-there kind of moment, I feel. But Bruiser Brody and the Barbarian, or a.k.a. the Berserker, I got good feelings from them. They bumped their ass off. They really romped around the ring. They used the cage well. They they knew their role was to get these two over for the angle. So this, this, this was solid wrestling. Not the greatest match in the world, but I was inoffended by it. Two classic examples, Nord the Barbarian and Bruiser Brody, of guys that just understood their fucking gimmick and knew what to do. And I'd be remiss, and it would be irresponsible of me, quite frankly, as someone who goes by the Huss on Twitter, as to say, <laughs> yeah, you're totally right, Nord the Barbarian, he was a local celebrity. They're on YouTube, there are he's doing like car commercials in Minnesota at the time. He was very popular. You know, this has got to be one of the most underrated teams of all time that nobody ever talks about. I think they complemented each other extremely well. I agree. Yeah, match matching sort of gear and gimmick gimmickry to it all. Uh, it is funny how Bruiser Brody, despite his popularity and how big he was, he can't go got, can't go by the Bruiser in this territory, brother. Nope, <laughs> can't do it. Um, like King Kong was... Bundy doesn't he come in and he's got to be like, what was it? Bam, Bam was he Bam Bam Bundy in the in the Midwest? Something like that, yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> AWA, you can't, you cannot have the same two names. That is just not allowed. 
Boy, yeah, y'all said what King Kong Mosca. King Kong was fucking popular IP back then, guys. Don't don't <laughs> sleep on it. Obviously the baby faces got the win because up next, yes, Vern Ganya got his wish. What'd you think about this? Little uh I guess comedy spot is what you can call it. Yeah, it's an old man beating up the uh the heel manager, so you can't ever get wrong. And your main event, finally, my God, I'm so proud of us. We have trudged through. We have made it all the way. I don't know if there's a pot of gold here, but there's definitely a bucket of face paint and tassels and all that shit. The Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal with Paul Ellering, Precious Paul Ellering, taking on the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, not Terry Gordy, Jimmy Garvin. What were your thoughts of Jimmy Garvin kind of coming in and out over the years? I thought he fit like a glove in the Freebirds, but obviously you got to go with the originals as being the best version. Gordy and Hayes, hands down. I wonder if this coincides with Gordy and having a lot of his health issues at the time. I think Gordy was actually, he was in the UWF at this time, I'm pretty sure, is what it uh, was. Okay, that makes I sense. think his, yeah, his health issues came later in the 80s. Okay. Uh, I, I felt a little cheated out of, out of this match. I was like, okay, main event, double cage. This is the second one. I was expecting I was expecting blood, brawling. It didn't really have as much heat as I was anticipating. Because the, the Freebirds do ha do garner a lot of heat. Even though they're not my favorite team in the world. There There is things I, I'm willing to admit. And for the Road Warriors, it just seemed like, ah, it's a Saturday, whatever. We'll half-ass it, we'll throw them around a couple times, show our power, flex, and then they're out of there. It was only like a six-minute match. It was so short. Yeah, and uh, once again, another lopsided, you know, just the psychology was completely lopsided. Uh, what did you think of the... Speaking of things that wouldn't work today, the face paint in this, <laughs> in this match. Oh. Uh, yeah. It is the Confederate flag uh, that was their answer to their version of the Road Warriors face paint, which it's just a road we don't need to go down. We all know how it would stand today. No, I agree. I agree with everything you said about this match. It's very lackluster, especially. You would think, like, your main event, if it's not going to be for the title, especially if the incentive is for you know, the old man to get the shitty manager, just flip these for your main event. But I guess that speaks to the popularity of the Road Warriors and the territory at the time. I guess, but let's see, 86. Yeah, they were, they were in, it was peak Road Warriors. I guess that's all you needed to do at the time was just book them. But, I mean, if it's any consolation, the AWA, you know, they wouldn't do well because if you, this is always kind of like a territory booking 101. If these guys aren't going to be there long term, then you're better off having them as a feature deck lower in the card as opposed to, what you're going to put in the main event. Because you're telling your audience that this is what you hope to see if they go on tour. And I'll have to look at the Road Warriors schedule a little bit more in 86. I'm not not too familiar with that anymore. But yeah. I think by this time, they were really they were really focused on Illinois and that area. Not, not so much Minnesota. Right. Yeah, and you're right. And that's why when people that aren't familiar with the territory days, they go back and they see... My God, why was Vern Gagne so dominant? Why was Jerry Lawler and Fritz Von Erich? Why were they champions so many times? Because they are one and the same. They could trust themselves because it's also the era of it was the wild fucking West and guys would just dip out, you know, sometimes overnight, all the fucking time. And that was no different with the Road Warriors who were going a year later back to the fucking NWA. So once again, I, I have to absolutely agree. I mean, 
have them featured as a, an attraction, but don't put them at the top of the card because that's what fans are going to expect, right? And if, if that's what they're peaking at and that's essentially their climax, not to be gross, they're going to be disappointed if they're not getting that at the top of the cards if these guys are just fucking gone with no explanation. So now, totally agree. On the flip side, if you do give them a Road Warriors like bloody brawl against the Freebirds that goes you know, not less than 10 minutes, Maybe we're coming out of this talking a little bit differently, like, well, what an awesome match. I don't feel cheated as a fan, that kind of thing, because I'm really trying to put myself in the mindset of back then. If, oh, man, I'm seeing the Road Warriors, and they come in for seven minutes? Like, no, that's not enough. I'm leaving disappointed. Exactly, and you're also talking about a card that's gone over three hours, almost four at this point. And we don't know. I don't have on my sheet that there are any dark matches. Probably not, but maybe they were tired and relieved to get out of there, too, because... They weren't firing on all cylinders at this point. That crowd had been on a fucking emotional roller coaster through Jesus. Like, I don't know, but it is what it is. That was their first and only Wrestle Rock Stadium show. It was it was a fail for me. This was a solid, a solid, I'm gonna say D minus. It just barely passes for certain things the awesome tag team of brody and nord bockwinkle and handsome was really good uh, you don't agree but i was entertained by the zabisco match kurt hall and scott henning it's always cool to see them like this uh harley race and martell had like two glimpses of entertainment the the, the u.s express match was okay other than that everything else on this card for me is completely missable dare i say it feels like a punishment to watch the rest of this card, JD. What do you grade, uh, letter-wise, Russell Rock 86? Um, yeah, I, I, I would be a betting man that they lost a ton of money on the show with all the talent they brought in. The length of the show was clearly a failure when you don't have the, the, the fans filling on the stadium until like halfway through the show. So begs the question, why do something that long in that case? Uh, and then with a lot of the shitty finishes, the lame duck main event, two steel cage matches with no heat to them, except the very last aspect of it with Vern Gagne, who, of course, <laughs> leader of the territory, would do. You're not left with a satisfying event that will lead to future things. I got to go with an F. And it's, it's, really, it's really no secret as to why this, this promotion just kind of plummets over the next couple of years. And I don't... Uh, Yes, they lo they lose a lot of stars. Yes, people leave, but makes you. It, it, I always ask this when it comes to like these territory dive uh, uh, back dives into these things. Is well, if if they would have changed their old mindsets, and if they would have ran ran tours and shows more towards their, I guess, budget, like be more responsible, then we could be looking at multiple territories operating on the lines of like Jerry Jarrett or Portland and the like that stuck around for many years rather than within one or two years of Crockett going against WWF. Everyone's gone. I feel like if, if Don Owens would have been in the captain seat for AWA instead of Vern Gagne, it might've survived. It had a hell of a lot better chance. Cause let's not forget the word greed comes into play yes. with the biggest step of all two of AWA because Vern Gagne, especially with Hogan, the biggest star he ever produced out of there in the eighties, he wanted the cut of his Japan money. And, and that's the legendary store in Hogan. And I mean, it comes from Hogan guys. So take it with a grain of salt, man. But it's like, come on, 
you know, especially if he's working another company. Then he wanted Hulk Hogan at this time would go out of his way to make his own merch, right? All those guys, until the AWA saw that that was an untapped market and they had their own merch. Yeah, he wanted cuts of his own merch. Flat out greed. Flat out fucking greed. is. I feel like with the combination not catching up the times is what killed the AWA. The booking, whether they call it up the times or not, you're not on a payoff show. You got to have a payoff. And this wasn't right. that at all, at all. Any stadium show should be considered, in my opinion, very rare exceptions like Grand Slams on Dynamite. But even then, there, there's at least one segment that's a fucking payoff and some finality to something, not just more a, th a running thread to more lackluster fucking shows with no payoffs, you know? Yeah, you you have to have an end point at some point and, and do it to the point where you can... Then decide what you're going to do after that. You have to have a plan. And anytime I watch these old AWA shows, I never feel like they have a plan. The only time I felt like that was when Kurt Hennig won the title. But then guess what? Roll up. Indecisive. <laughs> then he leaves. Yeah. It's like, well, you, you, you dug your own grave doing these kinds of things over and over and over again. And he loses the belt to a guy that worked like two shots for him before refusing to work in Jerry Lawler. So and then they had to vacate that. It was a fucking mess by the end. But that's it. This wasn't a mess. This is exactly what I expected to be. My man, knocking out of the park. Thank you again so much for riding shotgun with me down this retro ass review. One more time, my friend, JD, where can everyone catch you? Yeah, Red Leaf Retrocast. Uh, go every two weeks uh, throughout the world of wrestling. I do like the women's wrestling. So uh, if you're into that, into learning more, uh, it's 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 not your average wrestling podcast. Do a lot of business talk. Do a lot of different sort of critiques over wrestling itself. I mean, you just heard it here. That's kind of how I discuss wrestling. It's how my mind works. And I hope uh, if that interests you, you can come check us out. And if you really want to go on the deep dive of women's wrestling, then the Patreon is there. Redley Fretrickcast, uh, all one word. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And if you guys are video game fans and you want to go on a deep dive yourself, the very first show, I think when I was introduced to you, you and I ever did, we were on a guest panel. We had the likes of RGT85 on there. So that exists. That's out there if they really want to dig. I think it's like 2017 or something like that. Yeah, it was before he blew up on YouTube. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. But yes, thank you so much again. As always, follow me on Twitter at Hogan. Check out our merch store, unionsmack.bigcartel.com. Pick up both of Matt's books, NXT UK Year One or Undertaker Trip Down Death Valley, forward by yours truly. Also, get a shirt while you're there. Why not? Summer, spring's coming. Time to get off the coats. Get yourself some new duds. And as always on YouTube, Habiki TMD, Retro Gaming, Nerdy Goodness, Horror Movie, Heavy Metal Podcast. We got you covered if it's nerdy. Until then, this has been the Union Smack Podcast. Cheerio. Baby.